as you bring the word of the Lord to us today. And I know he has a word on your heart for us. Amen. Bless you, Rose. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Indeed, praise God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to just stand in front of your people, Lord. I know you have a word coming from me for them, Father God, and my prayer is that your word will not go out, Father God, in return and vain. You said when your word go forth, he will come back and do whatever you set it out to do. And that's my prayer today. I pray for your announcing. I pray that the people's ears be opened, Father God. May your words come alive and may they become part of their lives. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let us start with our scripture. Judges 2, verses 6 to 10. It reads, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possessions of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who came out live him, and who had seen all the great things the Lord has done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance of Timah, Timah Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he has done for Israel. I'm going to spend some time this morning talking to you about relationships, intimate relationships, personal relationships. One thing I know about relationship, it is, takes time, it takes energy to get to know somebody and get to trust them. It takes a lot of conscious decisions to invest in that person. But despite our best effort, sometimes we enter in a relationship, we want it to work out, but it doesn't. And we have to either face a breakup or a divorce. Something happened. The person either flipped out on us, there's changes in personality, and as we often say, we grow apart. We grow apart. And it's different. And what I hear people say when they're facing a breakup or a divorce is, I don't think I ever knew him or her. 
All the time that I invested in that person, I don't think I really knew him or really knew her. So they convinced themselves that all these years spent together was a lie. It was all a lie. But we have a relationship with God. And I tell you, in that relationship, God knows us. He knows us. It doesn't matter how many times we flip out on him. It doesn't matter how many times we change our mind about him. It doesn't take him by surprise. He doesn't ask for a divorce. He doesn't ask for a breakup because he knows us. He knows us. So today, today, my question for you, in that relationship, do you know him? Do you know him? Some of us, we've been coming to church since we were kids. You know, we were raised in the church. Our parents bring us to church. We come, we sit in church, and some of them, we, we don't miss church. I, I remember pastor said one day before COVID that he never missed a day of church, and COVID take that away. But that's us. We want to come to church. We want to be with God. But do we know him? Do we really know him? So in the scriptures, it says that Israelites finally, finally, after 40 years, they made it to the promised land. For those 40 years, they've seen God doing miracles. They've seen God parted the Red Sea. They've seen what God has done to the Egyptians. Now they're in the promised land. God has given them what they have promised. Not because they were faithful, because the Israelites were disobedient. Arthur, disobedience. In the, in the scripture, it says, there, were, there, there rise up a generation who did, not go, who did not know the Lord or what the Lord has done for Israel. But did not God, the Israelite, a command to talk to the children about what he has done for them? About who he was? So how did that happen? Disobedience. They never did what God asked them to do. For generations, they stay in the desert. They hear God. They hear the promises. God told them not to mingle with the people around them. God gave them specific commands. And before the passage we just read, uh, we just read the passage before that talk about how God sent an angel to rebuke the Israelites because they were living in disobedience. They were intermarrying the people around them. They were doing things that God has specifically asked them not to do. And one of them was to talk about him. That's what you do when you love somebody, isn't it? You talk about them. You talk to your children about them. You let people know what they've done for you and how good they are. When you really, really love somebody, I mean, for you young people, if you just meet somebody, old people too, I mean, if you, if you just meet somebody and, and that person really gets your heart, you want your friends to know about them. If you have children, you want your children to know about them. You talk about them. So how did that even happen? After God, all God has done for the Israelites, how did that even happen? This tells me that maybe the previous, the previous generation 
who've seen everything that God has done, never really, really know God. It's worth asking, how well did they really take time to fellowship with God? Did they really know him? They were unfaithful. They didn't follow God's command. Whatever God asked them to do, they didn't do it. The Israelites had for sure a roller coaster relationship with God. This is how it goes. They serve God. They disobey God. God rebuked them. They wept. They repent. God forgive them. They serve God again for a period of time. And the whole cycle repeat itself over and over. So throughout the lifetime of the journey in the desert, in the wilderness, we see Israel repeated failure in the persistent grace of God. I know that sometimes we often shake our head when we think about how many times God had to rebuke and forgive them. Sometimes we even ask why. Why? They know you, Lord. They've seen what you have done. Why forgive them again? So remember that God's faithfulness toward Israel didn't have anything to do with Israel's faithfulness toward God. God was faithful toward Israel because he had a covenant with Israel. Because he loved Israel. Although God couldn't rely on the faithfulness of the Israelites, he makes sure that he placed among them leaders who were after his own hearts. So many times, God has come so close, so close to wipe out Israel. But those leaders, they knew God. Moses, he had a relationship with God. The first thing that happened when you start having a personal and an intimate relationship with God, you start knowing his character. You start knowing that there's nothing, there's certain things that God cannot do. So whenever God got angry with Israel and want to destroy Israel, Moses remind him of who he is. You can't do that, God. It's not you. You made a promise toward these people. You cannot destroy them. And sometimes that's what we have to do in our own lives. When God makes promises to us and we, for, we think they forget, he forget about us, we have to remind him. These are the promises that you made toward me. When he remembers, he has to carry them out. Because that's the kind of God he is. And the second thing that happened, when you start having a relationship with God, I'm talking about a personal, intimate relationship with God, he gives you access to visions, to power, to understanding that other people do not have. When you take time to really build a relationship with God, it takes you to a level that other people cannot understand. So today, today I'm here again to ask you, do you know him? Do you really know him? So let me tell you a little bit about Joshua. Moses died. 
but way before Moses died and Joshua became the new leader, Joshua basically grew up in the wilderness. He watched how God moves. He sees how God performs miracles. To Joshua, there was nothing God could not do. He learned that from the time he was a little boy watching God. So when you tell Joshua some things, he takes God at his word. When God promised him the promised land, it was done. So when Moses sent out the 12 spies to survey the promised land, 10 came back with a bad report. But Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. The other 10, they went and looked at the, eye, the, the land, and they looked at it with the physical eyes, and they saw giants. They saw themselves defeated already. But when Joshua looked at the promised land, all he could see is vision. Vision of the promises that God had made to the Israelites. It doesn't matter how big the giants were. He knew that he already had the confidence in the covering of God to go out and get what God had promised. Joshua had a personal relationship with God. He knew God's character. He knew if God said he's going to give us that land, it doesn't matter who's living in it, we're going to get that land. And let's go and get that land because that's what my God said. That is a personal relationship with God. But the people, the people, they did not see it the way that Joshua did it. They didn't have access to the vision that Joshua had. Instead of trusting God and go along with Joshua, the Israelite suggested to go back to Egypt. And what they did? They cried, they weep, and the typical Israelite reactions was blaming Moses. Why did you bring out here, us out here to kill us? Why did you do that to us? We want to go back to Egypt. 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 They saw God destroy Egypt. They saw God annihilate Egypt. They saw God destroy the Egypt army in the Red Sea. But they want to go back to Egypt because that's what they knew. Instead of trusting God, they want to go back to what they know. Now Moses died. And Joshua had to deal with those people himself. A people who could not trust the God who had delivered them out of Egypt. A God who has parted the Red Sea. A God who has sustained them in the desert. They never really take time to know God. Joshua had to deal with that defeated mindset for years. Some pastors think they have it bad because they're dealing with a congregation that refused to grow spiritually. But believe me, no pastor wants to deal with what Moses and Joshua dealt with. It's no joke. It's no joke. Joshua knew no matter how much he told the Israelites about God, the knowledge of God would only get to a certain level. Only they decide to take 
the relationship with God personal. He watched them wavering back and forth so much that one day he had to beg them to choose God for themselves because he couldn't do it for them. Your pastor can only take you this far to a relationship with God. They cannot make you be intimate with God. It has to be you. It has to be you. Let's look at Joshua 24, 14, 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Joshua was tired of the Israelites. He gave them a choice. And if you pay attention, the choice, the heart was so hard, the choice that Joshua gave them was not even between the Amorites God and God of the Israel, between the Amorites God and the gods their father worshipped beyond the Euphrates weaver. He didn't even give them a God because the heart was so hardened. But he said, I don't know about you. I've tried so hard to tell you about God. But as for me, I have made my decision. Today, I'm asking you, do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? How is your relationship with God? How intimate do you know him? Judges 2, 7 says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived them and who have seen all the great things the Lord has done for Israel. So Moses, Caleb, Joshua, and all the elders have seen how God parted the Red Sea, how he provided for them for 40 years in the desert, how he guided them with pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. God has commanded the Israelites to remind the children of these things, but despite the leader's best effort came up a generation who neither knew God nor what he has done. The previous generations, they knew what God has done. They chose not to serve him. But this generation, they know God, know what God has done. Wow. How did that even happen? What kind of ungrateful people were those Israelites? Would you say? Wouldn't you say? Let's talk about us. Do you know him? Do you know what he has done for you? We live in the information age. Most people have access to information right at the tip of their hands. Information is so easily available even people who don't know God or desire to worship God, they know more about God than we do. Just because sometimes it might be cool for them to debate us about what they know about God. Because they have information. Everybody has information. It's right here. 
Now, we've, even with a smartphone, we have everything that we need, and we can know about God. And there was a time that we were saying it's because the people have a lack of knowledge. The Jewish priests and the Catholic priests, they kept the Bible to themselves or the Holy Word to themselves, so people didn't have access to it. What about now? What about now? The Washington Post did a poll a few years ago, and it was reported that the average Christian household has 4.4 Bibles. But now with the smartphone, we have access to every single version of the Bible right in the palm of our hands. However, the church is experiencing his steepest decline ever. We now have a generation, even if they know God, and they're our children, children that we teach, we taught them about God. They were sitting right here, right here with us. They know God, but they have come to make a decision that they will neither serve him, nor give him an ounce of the time. This is the generations that we have. A study conducted by Lifeway, Lifeway Research reported that the reality is that the Protestant, the Protestant church continue to see the new generation walk away as young, as young adult. Regardless of any external factor, the Protestant church is slowly shrinking from within. The dropout rate for young adults accelerates with age. With 69% say once they reach the, with 69% say they were attending church at 17, that fell to 58% at age 18, 40% at age 19. Once they reach their 20s, around one in three young adults say they attend church regularly. Now, can we understand why God has such a difficult time? building a personal relationship with the Israelite. Can we understand why the Israelite was so frequent? We can no longer point fingers at them. We can no longer shake our heads at them. Why do we have 4.4 Bibles in our home and still don't know God? Why are we filling up stadiums, auditoriums, churches with thousands and thousands of people every Sunday and the church is shrinking? Why are church doors closing? Why are church members and even pastors who know about God turning away from the faith? The reason was never a lack of knowledge. It was never a lack of knowledge. It was always an issue of hearts. Hearts not willing to bow down. Hearts not willing to get intimate and personal with God. It's not a knowledge issue. Because every Sunday we come up to church Every Sunday we hear, we get the knowledge. Some of us, we are rich in Bible knowledge. We get fat in Bible knowledge. But do we know him? Do we know him? Let's read Romans 1, 18 to 21. 
the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God had made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are not without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorify him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking become fertile and their, their foolish heart were darkened. God is powerful enough to reveal himself to whoever he wants, whenever he wants, and wherever he wants. Ever since the creation of the world, two invisible, invisible characteristics of God has been on this place for all to see. It doesn't matter if, in, if you're in one of those remote countries in Africa. You look at the skies. You look at the ocean. And they're screaming that I have a creator. You look at human beings and our design. We are screaming that somebody made me. But we choose, many of us choose, not to believe. But on top of this, all this, God has given us, has brought people in our lives to tell us about the gospel and guide us to Jesus. What we do with that knowledge is up to us. But we have access to it. Many of us have access to him, but honestly, some of us, we just want to get that close to him. That close, not too close. The Israelites witnessed God's majestic power day after day and had first-hand experience of who God was, but they never desired God and wanted to get close to him. They trusted Moses and the leaders to point them to God. They wanted to be spoon-fed. They refused to enter into the presence of God because they were afraid of developing an intimacy with God. Let's read Exodus 20, 18 to 21. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountains and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses told them, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remain at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. I want to get that close. I know he can do things. I know he can do miracles. But you go ask him to do it for me. You go pray for me. I need my pastor to preach to me. I need some motivation to get excited about God today, but I need somebody else to do it for me. We just want to get that close. 
The Israelites, they wanted the protections and the blessing of God without having to intimately develop a friendship with him or fellowship with him. It's not different, any different for us. It's not any different for us. We pack up churches and places of worship every Sundays. We want our spiritual leaders to feed us. We are rich with Bible knowledge. We get excited about God and we want his promises, but we only want to get this close. Just this close. So let me ask you, do you know him? Truly ask you, do you really know him? It is a very good thing to have people standing in the gap for you. It is. Sometimes you need somebody to stand right there with you. It is good to have spiritual leaders pouring into you. Recently, in the most recent years, we have the most characteristic leaders, pastors, evangelists, apostles, pouring in people, into people, miracles happen. Those are all good things. But at some point, this relationship you have with God has to become personal. You have to find your prayer closet. And you have to be able to come into his presence and say, Lord, it is I, it is I sending in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my father, not my preacher. It is I. Sometimes you have to get to him, get to the cross and say, Jesus, draw me. Draw me nearer to you. Draw me to the cross. Your pastor can only take you this far. This far. Believe me or not, God wants to get personal with us. He wants a personal relationship with us. He wants a relationship where you and I are completely depending on him. He wants a relationship that is 24-7, a relationship that is inside and outside, outside of the four walls of the church. He wants to be with you when you're driving around, when with your friend, when, with you, when you're with your families. He wants to be with you on your job. 24-7. God desires intimacy with you. Don't be afraid to get close to him because he already knows you. He knows everything that there is to know about you. Let's read Psalm 139 just to remind of how much he knows about us. This is David speaking. It says, you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hear me and behind and before, and you lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me 
too lofty for me to understand. 13 to 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You need me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows you. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. He knows you. Let me tell you, you have 60 trillion cells, 100,000 miles of nerve fibers, 60,000 miles of vessels carrying blood around your body, 250 bones, to say nothing about joints, ligaments, muscles, in the hair upon your head. God knows them all, and he placed them on you. So he knows you. Don't be afraid. He only wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to desire him as much as he desires you. He wants you to get close to him as much as he is close to you. I want to say to you in the words of David, test and see that the Lord is good. He is good. He is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Like Moses said to the Israelites, don't be afraid to get close to God. He only wants to love you and protect you and keep you from sinning. Because his knowledge of you is so precise. He can guard you behind and before, ever and always. His hand is laid protectively upon you. He knows you. He knows you. But do you know him? Do you know him? Pastor preached last Sunday about the end of time and how we, the saints, are going to be raptured right before the great tribulations. And thank God we're not going to be experiencing that. Praise Jesus. And we will be experiencing the fullness of God's love for eternity and eternity. And I know many of you are patiently waiting for that day when you can see heaven. But what if I tell you that God did not create us to come on earth to wait for heaven. He created us to live in community and fellowship with him right now. Even though God's original purpose, original plan was sabotaged by sin and we now live in a fallen world, he still wants to walk with you, to talk with you, to be with you right now. The more intimate we get with him right now, the more we get to experience his blessings, his joy, his peace in this broken world, in this mess of world. When you truly know him, this broken world is not so lonely and scary because he's with you. He's walking with you. And he'll give you access to vision, protections, power to make it through until Jesus comes back to take you to your final home. 
taking time to really know him right now, allow you to abide in him. So when life is throwing curves ball at you, you'll be able to say like Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Like Joshua, you will have, thing, you will have visions to see lands uh, that is flowing with honey and water. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will have the audacity to look at the devil in disguise and say, not today, devil. I will neither bow you nor worship your false god. You will have that kind of power. Like Daniel, you won't let policies and laws that is against your faith distract you from staying faithful to your God. You will continue to worship him and do his will morning and night in full view without fear of being reprimanded and being ostracized. Like Job, when sickness strikes your body and you have lost everything that is attached to your name, you will find the faith to say, though he slay me. Yet... I will put my hope in him. Like David, when you face death and grief, you'll have the confidence and comfort to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As Mary, when you face situation that is beyond your understanding, too much for your mind to wipe itself around, you'll trust it enough to say, may it be done as your word says. And as Jesus himself cries when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, facing the possibility of his own crucifixion, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When you come to know him, you will experience true surrender. You will say like Paul, it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives me true surrender you can never experience that unless you dare you dare to get close to the almighty God in conclusions I want you to know that God desires that you desire him he wants you to know him he said to the Israelites in Jeremiah 29 12 to 14 then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Pastor talked earlier about fixating our heart on God, turning our heart to God. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He is saying the same thing to us today. I want you to want me. I want you to call upon me. I want you to really seek me with all your heart. No matter how far we have strayed away, no matter how silent you have been and distant you have been in your relationship with God, he wants you to call on him. He wants you to run to him. He wants that. He wants to connect with you. He wants a two-way relationship with you where he knows you and you truly know him as well. Today I'm pleading to you to stop the roller coaster relationship with God. Let's stop taking him on a roller coaster ride where everything, where we, everything is good, we're high. 
And when things are not so good, he's low. When you need him, you run to him and he's your ride or die. You know, God is my ride or die because you need something from him. But when you think you got it, you know, I'm good. Okay, God, I can manage. I can manage. Let's go. Why don't we play hide and seek? And he's not the one hiding, believe me. He's not the one hiding. Let's connect with him. Let's know him. Truly, truly know him. That's what he desires from us. Nothing less. Today is a time to jump all the way. All the way. No halfway relationship. No today here, tomorrow gone relationship. Today, let's go all the way with him. Because once we do that, you'll be able to have visions. You'll be able to have hope. You'll be able to have miracles and witness miracles. You'll be at a level that nobody else can understand. But you have to go all the way in. All the way in. All the way in. And today, today is the day. Today is the day. Let us pray. Today we're here, Father God, because we want to experience all the benefits of truly knowing you. We want to experience the joy, the peace that comes with knowing you in this broken world. Father God, we know there are things coming at us, Lord, but I know if we have you, Lord, if we abide in you, Father God, we will conquer it all, Lord. But we cannot do it from a distance from you. We have to attach ourselves to you, Lord. Father God, I pray for this congregation today, Lord. I pray, Father God, that every single heart with you, no matter how much Bible knowledge they have, Lord, but to decide today that they will connect with you and truly know you. I want to pray today, Father God, when we read the Bible, Father God, that we don't read it to memorize it, but we read it to encounter the Almighty God. I pray, Father God, that the knowledge you have given us, Father God, will only be to bring us closer to you, Lord. I pray for these people today, Father God. I pray that you bring us closer to you, Lord, and for our hearts to want it. No more hide and seek. No more roller coasters, Father God. No more here today and gone tomorrow. We want you every day, 24-7, Lord. We want you 24-7, Lord. Especially outside of the church. We pray today, Father God, that you will hear this prayer, Father God. We pray today, Father God, that you will smile upon us because you've been waiting, Lord. You've been begging, you've been calling for a long time for us, Lord, to attach ourselves to you. Make today be the day, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, Father God. And once we do, Lord, once we do, we'll be able to pray in the words of David that you, Lord, is my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. 
you restore my soul. You lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your word and your staff will comfort me. You will prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. You announce my head with oil and my cup will overflow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever in your presence. Amen.